If you work together as a team, if you feel seen, if you feel like there's somebody who's been there and can help you, or if you can help somebody else, that really changes how you experience life, I feel like. That's the thing I want to do. I want to help people navigate their professional career. Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here we share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Over the past year and a half, this podcast has featured some of the most beautiful and uplifting stories. They've given us hope, illustrated resilience, inspired us to move, and some have even brought us to tears. It's been my intention to occasionally bring back the top listened to stories. Whether these bonus episodes are new to you or they are a re-listen, I know that you will find something in them that you needed to hear today. So now I'm bringing front and center one of the earliest episodes featuring On Lee Jordan. On's is a story of sacrifice, conviction, and heart. As a refugee from Vietnam, the trajectory of her life was placed by the love and generosity of the family who sponsored hers. As she says, it changed the course of their lives. On wants her work that she does today to mean something for her, her family, her community, and the world. And since this episode has aired, she's continuing to build on her intention to do something good and make a difference. Episode 1.5, Living with Purpose, on Lee Jordan, was originally published on May 21st, 2021. Hi, it's so great to talk to you today. You have, I know, so much to share, so many good things you've got your hands into. And so I want us to just jump in. And tell us about you and kind of your story and your career path up to the state. Well, I am, I guess I identify as a first generation Vietnamese refugee. Uh, my family came over when Saigon fell, uh, April 30th, 1975. And we ended up in a, uh, a military camp in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. And then we were sponsored by a family, a lovely family, the Lomas family in Lansing, Michigan. So we moved to Lansing, Michigan and literally moved in with another family in their home um, in July of 1975. And um, from there, you know, it's kind of just an all-American immigrant story. My parents were just trying to find work and a way to create a new life. I was just a baby. We moved to Texas because my dad was in the South Vietnamese Air Force. He was a helicopter pilot. So he moved to, we moved to Texas in the hopes of him being able to get a helicopter job and being able to, you know, just make a living for his family with skills that he had. And uh, every Vietnamese refugee <laughs> ended up down there, which is why there's such a big Vietnamese population in Houston, actually. Um, he didn't get a job there. In fact, uh, he and my mom ended up working in a sweatshop there making, you know, like a dollar or something an hour. And ultimately, we ended up our sponsor that, who had sponsored us in Michigan, one of their friends um, got my dad a job at a GM plant back in Lansing. So we moved back to Michigan. And uh, my dad, uh, he kind of we kind of hit the jackpot there. He got this job with General Motors and which he ended up working at for his entire career. He ended up retiring from there. And that changed the trajectory of our lives. Actually, that job gave him both job security as well as the ability to earn a pretty good, you know, uh, blue collar wage. 
And uh, we were in Lansing for a while. He ended up getting laid off with everybody in the mid 80s. And then they transferred him to Buffalo. So that's how a Vietnamese family ends up from Lansing to Buffalo <laughs> through because of this great job. Um, and from there, I think a little bit of because my dad's background at General Motors, you know, he was a machinist there. I ended up getting interested in like labor relations and unions and whatnot. And I ended up at Cornell University at their state school of uh, industrial and labor relations. And one of the reasons I could end up going there actually was because it was a land grant school. So even though it was an Ivy League university, mm. um, their schools, they have certain schools, the agriculture school, human ecology school, and the labor relations school that were state schools, basically. So you paid a little bit over what normal state tuition was for an Ivy League degree. So that's how I ended up at Cornell. And, uh, and that probably was the biggest um, stepping stone in determining the trajectory of the rest of my life. Um, going there. Yeah. Wow. So um, from college, then you said you were interested in labor relations and and all of that. So then what's next? So so I I graduated with a degree in industrial labor relations. (laughs) It's a pretty specialized area, but I ended up Mm -hmm. doing labor relations for Nabisco. Um, And I was at Nabisco for five years negotiating contracts, working in labor relations, and then um, ultimately going to law school from there. And uh, from law school, I went and worked at a big firm in New York City for a few years, found that to be intellectually fulfilling and financially fulfilling, but not personally fulfilling. And so after a few years there, saving my money and whatnot, we ended up, by that time, I also had gotten married, I had a kid, and we moved from New York City to DC so that I could work for the uh, Department of Labor. So I worked for the U.S. Department of Labor as a trial attorney for 10 years. And that was really also fulfilling, um, more fulfilling than before. And I was kind of living my dream of working on behalf of American workers and feeling really great about that. Um, But then I ended up finding that that still wasn't enough for me. So four years ago, we left D.C. and moved to Raleigh, North Carolina for the sole purpose of me being able to go out on my own and start a nonprofit and uh, just do what I felt compelled to do from my heart. Uh, And that's what I've been doing for the last few years now. Um, You really follow, it seems as though you follow this real purpose-driven, mission-driven aspiration for the work you do for your day job. And um, so where are you making the greatest impact right now? So, um, you know, I, I guess right now what I'm working on is I'm working on uh, an organization I started called Accelerate the Climb, and it's uh, for first-generation college students, and it's we're helping first-generation college students transition from college to career. Um, I look back and really saw the trajectory of my career, kind of like what I was saying before, going to Cornell really put me on a path, and graduating with that degree gave me access to this kind of um, elite world of people who really had a lot of privilege and access that hard work alone won't get you. And that's what I realized. It wasn't just working hard. It wasn't just being smart. It wasn't just having perseverance. But there is also a component of it that's luck and a component of it of that's who you know. And I ended up being really lucky. My um, freshman year, I became friends with... Uh, 
someone who's my best friend still today. And she was at the time third generation Cornell. Her parents had gone to school there. Um, her So she had access to a different experience than I had. And by being so close with her and ultimately her family, her family's like my family now, um, I ended up getting entree into that world as well. So I would listen to her talking to her dad on the phone, asking him questions or him giving her advice. And I'd be like, wow, my parents could never, they, they pay my tuition bill, which was already in and of itself enough of a luxury, but having them be able to kind of steer her in the right direction, I saw what a difference it made. And then once I actually had access to them and they were helping me, you know, when I was in New York city working at that firm, or actually, let me go back when I was looking for internships in Washington, DC, I had talked to her parents and said, you know, I'm, I, I don't exactly know what I want to do, but I want to do an internship in DC. And all of a sudden, next thing I knew, I had an interview with the State Department for an internship. And, you know, I could talk to somebody at Department of Interior, all because of them, not through the school, not through my parents, but because of who they knew. And it wasn't like, you know, anything major, but it was enough to see that that's how things work. When I was in New York City and I was working at the firm, I said, you know, I really, I think I want to just go work for the Department of Labor so I can put my expertise and education experience to use in a way that I feel better. I talked to her parents and next thing I knew, I was, we were having dinner with somebody who was working in the exact department in the Department of Labor at the right agency in the Department of Labor that I wanted to work with, right? So they're like, come down and talk to them, see if it's something you really want to do. All of those little things add up, though. And so when I was reflecting back on my career, um, when I was at labor, trying to figure out what do I want to do, I want to do something more meaningful. That was one of the things I really kind of honed in on and thought, you know, that's something I think I have a special foot in both both worlds, where I know Mm -hmm. what it's like to have, you know, come from a community where you don't have access to that. But then I also had a foot in the other door where I was given that privilege and given access and what a difference it's made in my life. I don't know what my life would be like, honestly, without that, because I can totally foresee myself in a different scenario where I was just working hard and kind of just plugging along, but never being able to achieve everything I have or it taking a lot longer than it did for me. So thinking about that, I thought, what can I do? to kind of replicate that on a broader scale for other people. And so that's what I've been working on for the last uh, three years. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the, the, the power of networks, right? I mean, I think you saw that firsthand and then also the beauty of, um, you know, people taking care of others, that family considered you one of their own and open doors just, without even being, you probably didn't even officially ask them. You just talked about what you were interested oh, yeah, in. No. And they said, let me very help. Just organic. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's awesome. So what are you seeing coming from Accelerate the Climb? What impact so are you I'm having? Doing, um, a couple of things. Sure. I'm doing a couple of things with Accelerate the Climb. One is I'm doing just myself one-on-one mentoring Um, and networking with students. I have students that I just mentor on a regular basis. And it's a lot easier now, actually, with COVID, that everyone is part of Zoom culture. So I am mentoring students across the country, as opposed to just having to focus on people I can 
you know, have a coffee with face to face. Um, and it's been so interesting because it's really validated what I, what I thought was the need of just sometimes you need someone who's been there and really understands you. And again, I feel like I'm at like a point where I can both understand and empathize with where they came from and really understand it in a way that somebody who's mentoring them who didn't experience it, like I can really empathize with them. But I also have a vast network at this point in my career that I can connect them with. So I'm able to really be a great mentor and networker for them. And so, but little things that, you know, you just take for granted, like one of my mentees, it was so exciting. She got a job, she got her job offer, she gets her job. And next thing I know, she's texting me to be like, can we meet? Cause I got this job offer and I don't know what it means. Right. She never she yeah. didn't know what to do with her job offer. Am I supposed to negotiate it? Do I just take it? What right. does it even mean? It says all of these things because she doesn't have anybody in her community who's ever had a fancy job that has stock options, that has right. health benefits. I end up spending a whole session with her going through what her health benefit options are and pros and cons of which options she should choose and, and whatnot. Because in her whole life, they, she, they, she never had benefits that they could choose from. So it's kind of interesting the things that a lot of people just take for granted in transition from college to career and a lot of ways that I can help out in small ways and in big ways, right? Introducing them to people to help them get a job and also just helping them to pick. You don't need you know, a high deductible <laughs> savings account. Don't worry about it. Just because it's available to you doesn't mean you need to to use it, right? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the stuff they don't teach in school. And, um, you know, many, many students find themselves in that. Okay, school's done. I'm out on my own. What does all this mean? I mean, I think yeah. having having a mentor in that stage is is just invaluable and really gives you a leg up for the rest of the, for the rest of your career. Exactly. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, when I was in college, we didn't even have the term first generation college student, right? Like that wasn't even an identity that people used. I just knew I was different and I wasn't as rich. And I definitely didn't know as much as all these kids who knew that you were supposed to spend $500 on books and you were supposed to get internships. And yeah, it was okay not to get paid for internships. It was not okay not to get paid for an internship in my house. My dad was like, wait a second, I'm paying for you to go to college and now I'm going to pay for you to go move to another city as opposed to stay home for free. And then you're going to work for free as opposed to stay home and make money to help pay for school next year? Yeah, I don't think so. And so it was thanks to <laughs> thanks to um, Julie's family and connecting me to the right people that I ended up getting a fellowship that paid for me to be able to go to DC for that summer. Because otherwise, my dad, understandably so, was like, yeah, that deal doesn't make sense to me. Even though I was like, it's for my career. And he's like, going to college is for your career. All right, I'm paying for that. That's totally understandable. <laughs> But, um, but you know, what they, what they talk about now, which is great, is they talk about a hidden curriculum in achieving success in academia. So when you go to college, for you to have like, um, understanding not just the syllabus that your professor hands out, but actually there's this hidden curriculum to having academic success. 
when you're in college. And what I think people haven't been thinking about, and one of the reasons I started Accelerate the Climb, is I think the hidden curriculum extends to postgraduate life. How do you have success when you start working? How do you start have success as a young professional? And there are things that when you grow up with that, with a white collar family, with parents who go off to their jobs and they come home and they talk about it, you that's kind of ingrained and it's taken for granted. But if you don't come from that community, if you don't come from that background, it's a whole new world and you're starting off, off all over again as a fish out of water. And how do you succeed and how do you make the best first impression? Because you could work really hard, but if it takes you a while to figure out how to work right, that's going to impact you. You have your hands in a lot of work. I mean, it seems you have a lot of passion for for many things. Is there anything else you want to talk about as it relates to some of the work you're doing right now? Yeah. You know, I mean, in my journey of trying to figure out what I was going to do to fulfill what my heart was telling me to do. I kept going back and doing these exercises of what's important to me and what am I good at? How can I take what I'm good at and make it something that's a contribution to society, right? And in reflecting back, I realized, you know, one of the things I really care about is mentoring, which that goes with uh, the Accelerate the Climb stuff. And another thing that I've done consistently everywhere I've gone, professionally, personally, integrating both, is building community because I think it's always been really important for me to feel not as alone that, you know, to realize that your journey isn't just a solitary journey, but that there's other people going through that journey with you. And if you do it together, it's both less lonely, but also you are all able to be more productive. If you work together as a team, if you feel seen, if you feel like there's somebody who's been there and can help you, or if you can help somebody else, that really changes how you experience life, I feel like. And so leaning into mentoring and community building, that's part of my Accelerate the Climb work. And then another way, you know, I have an actual professional background of being in labor relations and labor and employment law for the last 25 years. So, uh, and I've, I've really loved helping people in that journey. I didn't really love litigating, (laughs) but I loved connecting with people. And one of the reasons I loved employment law was it wasn't just contracts and widgets, but it was actually people's lives that I was impacting and helping. And so, um, you know, over the last few years, putting together Accelerate the Climb has not been incredibly lucrative. So I've done some consulting on the side and I've realized that in my consulting, that's the thing I want to do. I want to help people navigate their professional careers and help them overcome any sort of obstacles and workplace issues that they have. So I've been doing mentoring with them about how to, I guess, um, understand and assert what their legal rights are in the workplace, how to stand up for themselves and empower them with information and help them navigate that. And I think that's something that through um, mentoring them as well as building a community, I thought that's a way for me to help marginalized, um, underrepresented uh, workers. So specifically, I think women and BIPOC um, communities where they're going into this workplace and very similarly to first generation um, college students, they're kind of on their own. They might be um, the first in their family to work in a professional situation, 
Um, and I've found, interestingly, in consulting, I found that a lot of these folks that I've been working with, they are subject matter experts in the thing that they're educated on and that they're working in and that they're hired to do. So they're subject matter experts in that, but they're not in what their rights are as a worker, what what they're mm-hmm. entitled to, what they should feel empowered to insist upon in terms of boundaries or what shouldn't happen to them or what they're entitled to. So I've been working on this um, with this group, or I, we've created this group called Exit Wisdom. And um, basically our goal is to help marginalized communities, women and BIPOC, in how to assert their legal rights. We've got a toolkit coming out. We've got um, some master classes, and then I'll be doing consulting as well as uh, coaching, group coaching with them. So I feel really excited about that. Our toolkit, our plan for the toolkit is for it to basically be something that walks them through not just what they're legally entitled to, but it is to empower and educate them as to what they're legally entitled to. But it's also to acknowledge the idea that of what uh, what a journey it is uh, emotionally and on their mental health and how it is hard and, um, and for them to feel seen and to create a community around that. So our goal is to help either you understand what your rights are or to help you be an ally to somebody in your workplace so that you can stand up with them and help support them and create a safe and comfortable workplace for everybody. Very cool. I love that you've created a program around something that combines your your past work, your knowledge base, and and some of your passions for um, labor relations. That's really cool. Let's take a quick break, and okay. um, we'll come back and connect with the heart of the work you do. would love to kind of explore with you a little bit more, you know, you've, you've changed the course of your career and really it's, it's been an evolution and just, it's, there's a natural lead, but it's a theme I see is that you want to strip away the layers and get to like the heart and the passion that you have and put that into your work. So, you know, what motivates you to do work that um, is, is good for others and contributes to society. Yeah. And, you know, that's a question that my sister and I have talked about a lot. We both, my sister's a teacher up in Buffalo and she does a lot of volunteering and a lot of philanthropic stuff. And we both are like, where did this come from? Because honestly, my parents were immigrant parents who were just working to create a life for our family. So there wasn't a lot of time for them to do this kind of stuff. And yet my sister and I are both very, uh, we're both led by our hearts. And, uh, and I think, you know, we both agree that it goes back to just probably our family's origin story in America. And the idea that literally, I'm going to cry, sorry, <laughs> that literally our lives are forever changed. It, what an impact on our life that a family decided to just literally open up their home I was a year old and there was another child in the house who was a year old. So they had a four-year-old and a one-year-old and they were going to open their house up to a family that they didn't know with another baby. And what that did for our family literally created the trajectory for our lives here. And I don't think that 
my sister and I have ever forgotten that. That's so ingrained in who we are. And it wasn't just that they opened their doors, but we literally became part of their family. Like I called them grandma and grandpa and they're my cousins. There's seven of us, right? Even though there's really five of them and there's two of us, it's always been seven of us. My grandfather would save uh, his coins and then divvy them up like once a year. And he always made sure he split it up into seven because there were seven of his grandkids. We were all the same to Mm. them. And the idea of both their initial opening of their homes, but then their ultimate opening of their hearts, that's who I want to be. That's what I feel like I have a responsibility almost innately to give back to community, to society, right? The idea that you're capable of so much love. And what is it? You get back as much as you give out, maybe more, honestly, has been my experience. But you have to decide to give back. You have to decide to be open. You have to decide to do that. And somehow or another, my sister and I have decided to do that our whole lives. And uh, that for me, I think is probably the number one driver for creating this like mindset of who I want to be in this world. How do I want to show up in this world? I want to show up open and generous and do what I can to help people. You know, one of the, my favorite sayings is lift as you rise. (laughs) And the idea of that is just, you know, you can bring somebody up with you and it's not going to take anything from you, but you can help everyone. And I love the idea of if all of us had that mentality in society what a difference it could make instead of feeling like life is a zero sum game, but instead we can all be in this together and lift each other up. You know, when you, I'm like going to turn 47 this year and I've lived long enough to know that life is a series of ups and downs. And when you're down to have people around you to help lift you up is incredible. But also when you're up and being able to help lift someone up with you, that feeling is equally as good. And so I want to be part of those feelings. I want to be part of being able to do that. And yeah, my journey has been kind of greedily wanting more of that, more and more, leaving my law firm and going to work for the government because I thought, you know, I want to be able to help everyday American workers. And then from there, what else can I do? How else can I be? And how do I, you know, I have two kids now. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. How do I lead by living the life that I want them to feel entitled to? What kind of life are they seeing me make? What kind of choices are they seeing me make? And how can I um, empower them to feel able to make those choices as well? What is their definition of success? Their definition of success is going to be based on what I define as success also. And I don't want success to be some sort of monetary capitalistic definition of it. I want it to be a human-centered definition of success. So I think but I think it all goes kind of back to that, you know. That's so inspiring and just so many gems of advice all within what you just said. Yeah. But if you were to think about um, others who may want to make a difference too, what advice do you have for those people? Um, you know, I would say that life is hard. And the idea of like, making a choice to make a difference is really daunting and overwhelming. And it could paralyze you, right? I didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to just quit my job, not put any money in my 401k for a few years and just go out and change the world. It was a step by step 
progression. You know, I used to um, volunteer uh, at this great organization, Horton's Kids in Washington, D.C., where they would take kids from a neighborhood in D.C. and bring them to the U.S. Capitol to tutor. And so I was one of the tutors. I tutored the same kid for a few years. And, uh, and it was the idea of exposing the kids to being in the center of the American government. These kids lived across the river in Anacostia and literally had never, before this program, never been to the White House, never been to the Capitol. They were literally spitting distance from it. And uh, I, I loved that so much. And I love volunteering there. And I call it our family volunteering because I was volunteering when we had a toddler at home. And then when I was pregnant with a toddler at home. And then even with a newborn. <laughs> so my husband was volunteering at home, <laughs> taking care of everything else while I was out doing this. But that wasn't enough for me, right? So then I kept searching for how else can I give back? What else can I do? And I would just say, find something that you care about and do a little bit of something. You know, I before I, um, before I came down here and I knew I was kind of needed more. I kept volunteering to do other things. I volunteer, I became the president of the PTA at my kid's school because I thought maybe if I give back in this way, that'll be enough, right? And uh, that wasn't really for me, but I made some great friends out of it. But it, <laughs> it, it pushed me to be like, what else can I do? What else can I do? You know, it, in doing something like that, you can dip your toe into it, feel in those volunteer opportunities what you're capable of giving, how it makes you feel to do it. And while you're doing this self-experimentation, you're actually doing something good. You're helping out an organization or a community or whoever is being served by this. Um, and then I think there's another benefit, which is you're with your people, like the people who are volunteering to do whatever it is you're doing, community garden, food bank, you know, cleaning up highways, whoever these people are, they made the same choice as you did, which was to take their time and to spend it doing this. And I mean... I don't know if I told you this, uh, but I ended up volunteering on a presidential campaign after I graduated from law school. So my post-bar trip was I took a, a month and traveled in Vietnam, and then I spent two months in Florida in the 2004 presidential campaign volunteering. And that's where I met my husband. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that people are going to meet their life partner <laughs> by volunteering. But, but you might. But you might because you're putting yourself in a position with people who not only are same minded as you, but also same valued as you. They're people who are saying, you know what, I'm going to take my time to do this. And um, at the very least, you're going to find your people and at least make friends or find community, which, you know, that's what I'm all about. So I, I think that's my number one advice is just find something you care about and do a little bit. You don't have to, you know, take a year off. You don't have to do anything big. You can start with like, little things and, and learn from there what you can do. But in the meantime, while you're learning about yourself, you're also making a difference and that all of that adds up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking back to accelerate the climb and all the work you do, if someone wanted to engage with that work, um, how can they find you? Sure. You know, one of the things that I'm working on right now is, um, I'm working on a first-generation alumni collaborative. So if you just find me at acceleratetheclimb.org, um, there's a way to contact me there or follow me on Instagram, Accelerate the Climb. But one of the things we're working on right now is taking first-generation alumni organizations at universities. And we're working in collaboration right now with about 15 schools. And how do we learn from each other? 
kind of like create a best practices clearinghouse, but then also create resources for schools that don't have first generation alumni groups. And how do we help them if they're interested in starting one, either formally or informally creating um, kind of resources so they don't have to reinvent the wheel when they're going to their administration or to their alumnus to create their group. So if anybody's uh, either a student or an alumnus wanting to make a difference in the first generation world, uh, please get in touch with me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, before we close, I always like to to ask people about their favorite quote, just something you live by, uh, you know, a phrase that pops up for you in the back of your mind. Um, and, and you've shared with us a few already, but do you have anything that you kind of keep with you as a drumbeat in your life? Yeah, I actually, I don't keep it in the back of my mind. I actually just had it tattooed onto my forearm. (laughs) My quote is, is, make your path by walking. And it's a Grace Lee Boggs quote, a Chinese American activist, feminist, who is one of my role models. Um, But, you know, I've spent the last, I've had the luxury of spending the last few years as I've been working on my social impact and working on Accelerate the Climb. I've been working on myself too, right? And thinking about my journey and how, um, you know, one of the things that's been hard, you've heard kind of my story about how I've slowly moved off the path of, honestly, what my parents' dream was for me into understanding that actually their dream is for me to live my dream and for me to kind of give up what I thought I was supposed to do and just do what I needed to do, what I wanted to do. And that, you know, now I'm a parent, I understand if I'm happy, it'll make them happy. If I'm leading the life that I want to lead, that's the luxury and the gift that they gave me coming to this country. Right. And so um, I, I realized looking back, I spent all this time, feeling compelled to stay on a path and feeling uncomfortable with it. And it wasn't until I started slowly moving off the path, creating my own path, that now, today, is the happiest I've been, even even living in this pandemic right now, but personally and professionally fulfilled that I've ever been because it's me making my path by walking, taking steps forward, a lot of uncertainty, (laughs) you know, I mean, just moving to Raleigh was kind of a little bit crazy, but we knew we could afford to live down here and for me not to make some money for a while. But each of these steps into the unknown, because I was following my heart, it was my path, regardless of if it ended up being a straight path or a jaggedy path. But the idea of it being my path, as opposed to just, you know, taking footsteps along some sort of prescribed path that I was supposed to be on that my real truth is in making my own path by walking. So that's my quote. I loved it so much that I ended up putting it on my body permanently. And it makes me happy every time I see it. Oh, well, that's what matters. And, um, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you are an inspiration. The work you're doing is an inspiration. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm growing just by listening to to your story and and to your advice for us. So thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love what you're doing. I think we need to shout from the rooftops all the good things that so many of us are doing. Everyone's doing something good. And if we can build on that and be inspired by that, 
the world will be a better place. We can all lift as we rise, right? Thanks for listening to On Story. We'll be back next time with a new guest to illustrate once again that good really is all around us. Until then, be sure to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at good.aroundus and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening to the Good Around Us podcast. Until next time. Thank you.